Daniel 12, I want you to turn to this book of the Old Testament one final time. We come to the end of the book and the end of our journey through this book that's lasted us the better part of eight months or so. And one of the things that's so amazing to me as we look back on our study is the way that this ancient book speaks with such relevance and authority to where we are currently. And I've got to confess, I'm somewhat saddened as I come to the end of this study uh, simply because of the great comfort that it's been to my soul. Now, there's a lot in this book I don't understand. You add to that the scrutiny of standing before God's people every week and preaching verse by verse through a book, but there's a lot of stuff that's just hard to deal with. But the overarching message of the book is this message. The kingdom of this world ultimately belongs to King Jesus. And the fact that he's sovereign, he's coming, and that the most high rules over the kingdoms of men, that's probably the key verse in the entire book, Daniel 4:17. And that's something that we see emphasized in every chapter and verse of the book of Daniel. That our God is sovereign, and no matter how things may look on the ground, God is moving history to its intended conclusion. And that's the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and the establishment of his kingdom upon the earth. And so we come to this 12th chapter, and the word end is used several times in this chapter. All told, it's used at least 10 times in the final two chapters. And the last prophetic vision of the book ought to be seen, chapters 10, 11, and 12. We need to look at these as one uh, prophetic uh, picture. This is a, a whole prophetic vision. And yet we've taken our time as we've made our way through this final vision that was given to Daniel. But I want to pick up in verse number one, Daniel chapter 12. We looked at really the first two or three verses last week. I want to read all the way through the end of verse 13. The Bible says, At that time shall arise Michael the great prince who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who were wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel... Shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream, How long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time, and that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, O oh my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? 
He said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. But go your way till the end, and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. I want to speak once more from this subject, the time of the end. This final chapter in Daniel concerns the time of the end, or the end of human history as we know it. Now, history is linear, which means that history has a beginning, and history also has an ending, which means that time is not at a standstill, but time is moving towards something. Just as the rivers make their way ultimately to the ocean, so also the steady stream of time is moving history toward a future in which the kingdom of this world becomes the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And folks, that's the overarching message of Daniel 12. And it's all about this promise of everlasting life for God's weary people. And the wonderful takeaway from this text is that no, no matter how bad things may get, the people of God live with the hope of this promise. The, the end time hope of the people of God. This is something that keeps us looking up. That no matter how painful life may become in this world for God's people, ultimately we know that a better day is about to dawn. And that's the hope that the people of God uniquely have by means of the gospel. Well, what exactly is involved with the time of the end? I've already pointed out a couple of things from this chapter. Uh, first of all, uh, according to the text, the time of the end will be a time of tribulation. This is something emphasized there in verse number one. Notice it begins in this way. At that time, meaning the tribulation period, uh, the time where Antichrist is persecuting Israel, the time that's described at the close of chapter 11, at that time, Michael is going to stand up. Uh, he's the great prince who has charge over the people of God. So the idea is the, the time of the end is going to in involve increased spiritual conflict and spiritual warfare. And there's going to be conflict that's going to bubble over and it's going to affect the political landscape in the last days. And ultimately, Israel is going to face intense persecution in this time of tribulation. This is something that Jesus himself referred to in Matthew chapter number 24. It's something that the prophet Jeremiah referred to as the time of Jacob's trouble. And yet, what will prove to be a time of hardship for the people of God in the last days, uh, Daniel's prophecy here is intended to be a comforting promise. Yes, it's going to be difficult for the people of God. Yes, Israel is going to be surrounded, even outnumbered by her enemies, but she will not be without defense. And I take this to mean there's a personal application for my life and your life as a believer. 
you're never going to find yourself in a, in a situation in which you're not without divine defense. No matter how bad, no matter how troubled the waters may become in your life, aren't you grateful that you're more than a conqueror through him who loved you? Amen. So the time of the end is going to be a time of tribulation. Now, secondly, notice how it's going to be a time of separation. Uh, there's a distinction that's made in verse number two. The end of verse one says that all of those whose names were written in the book are going to be delivered. Verse two says, many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. So the idea here is just as time is moving towards some direction, so also is humanity. Everybody is headed somewhere. And the issue at hand is this issue, where are you headed personally? It's a fitting question you ought to ask yourself. Uh, at the time of the end, many who sleep in the dust of the earth, this is a reference to those who have physically died, they will awake. And so what's being referenced to here in verse two is the future resurrection. The resurrection's not just something that we read about in the New Testament, but it's something that's promised even in the Old Testament. And no place is any clearer than Daniel chapter 12, verse two. So there's going to be a resurrection for the righteous that happens at the return of Jesus, which means that God has a plan for the body. You know, these bodies that we have are so subject to aging and decay, wearing out. The older we get, the more that these bodies just, their age, just the weaknesses, the pops, the pains, the pills associated with all of that. Isn't it good news that God has a plan for the body? that believers are going to be given a glorified, resurrected body that's going to be patterned after the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'll say more about that next week. We'll take our text next week from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the great resurrection chapter of the Bible. But the point is this, folks, we've got hope beyond the grave, beyond the death and dying in this life, God's people have hope of resurrection. And so notice there's also a resurrection for the unrighteous. Now the thing is, you get into the New Testament, Revelation chapter 20 sheds more light into this subject, but at the end of the millennial period of Christ's reign on earth, there will be a resurrection of the unrighteous, after which they will receive their final sentencing, and that includes being cast into the lake of fire, which the Bible refers to as the second death. And so there is something far greater to be feared than physical death. It's the second death. It's being cast into the lake of fire for all eternity to come. I don't want that on my worst enemy. There ought to be an impetus for evangelism in my life. Now think about this. Those who were born again have been saved from the second death. If your hope is in Jesus Christ and you're a believer and you've been saved, you don't have to fear the second death. You don't have to fear the first death. It's merely ushering you into the presence of your heavenly friend. So if you are born twice, you only die once. But if you are born once and you die, you actually die twice. Now figure that one out. So the time of the end is going to involve tribulation. It's going to involve separation. 
as far as the righteous from the unrighteous. But then notice third, it's going to involve a time of preservation. And really from verse 4 through verse uh, 10, this is really the emphasis that Daniel is given. Notice he's told there in verse 4, but you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. And the idea here is that God has promised uh, that he's going to preserve um, He's going to preserve his promises. He's going to preserve his people. And ultimately, he's going to preserve his purposes. So the words of the prophecy, they're, 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 hidden. they're not hidden in the sense of uh, uh, you can't understand what has been revealed in Daniel. But the idea of this nature of concealment, it's that of being preserved. That's the idea being communicated there in verse number four. God is going to preserve and keep his word. God is going to keep the message that's been revealed to Daniel. He's going to keep it safe. It's not going to get lost in the sands of time, but it's going to become more clear even as we're living in final days, the last days. Which, by the way, the fact that we've been reading and studying the words of this book some 2,600 years after the fact bears witness to its divine preservation. And I don't think that that's just true of Daniel, but I think that that's true of the Word of God in general. It's nothing short of miraculous that you have a copy of the Word of God right now in your hands. The fact that this book has been attacked and opposed by the enemy of all souls more than any other book, the fact that political leaders throughout human history have tried their dead-level best to destroy this book, to burn this book, to ban this book, to cancel this book, and yet, right through it all, God has preserved it in the midst of it all. That's because the psalmist says in Psalm 119, forever, O Lord, your word is established in the heavens. Man can rage against it. The enemy of our soul can rage against it, but it will stand nonetheless. God will preserve his word. So implicit within this text is this idea that the message of Daniel will be critical in the last days. It's going to be reopened. It's going to be studied all over again. And I'm personally of the conviction that it's going to be the book of Daniel. It's going to be instrumental in bringing so many of those Jews to faith in Jesus Christ during the tribulation period. So God's going to preserve his promises. And then notice there in verse 4, Daniel is told that many will run to and fro in the last days and knowledge will increase. The phrase there is descriptive of a frantic search. It's descriptive of how man tries to find answers to his predicament. Man will increase in knowledge, but his knowledge only keeps him running in circles. In many ways, it speaks of humanity and humanity's search for truth, all the while leaving God out of the equation. Isn't it interesting that in the last days, the Bible says right here that knowledge is going to be increased? You think about just how knowledge has been exponentially increased in just the last few decades. Think about the, the information explosion, the digital age, uh, the fact that right now on your smartphone in a search engine, you can have access to really whatever you want to research. I mean, think about it. Our kids don't really even know what a library or an encyclopedia is anymore. They know what Wikipedia is, right? Just this idea, information has just so increased in the last few decades. But in spite of all of our knowledge 
in all of the information, we still have the same old problems. We're still helpless and powerless when it comes to dealing with our problems. Knowledge is not necessarily our issue. Our issue is wisdom. Our, our, our issue is knowledge of the truth, knowledge of God, as God has revealed himself, as God has pointed out man's issue, and that being sin. And yet the hope of salvation in Jesus Christ, this is what man needs more than anything else. This same phrase, to and fro, it's used in the book of Amos chapter 8. But the Bible says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will send a famine on the land. But it won't be a famine of bread. It won't be a famine for water, but it will be a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. He says, people will wander from sea to sea, from north to east. They will run to and fro to seek the Lord, but they shall not find the word of the Lord. By the way, you think about how characteristic this is of our day. It's what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 1, where humanity has exchanged the truth of God for the lie. All the while, we're running to and fro, desperately seeking that which only God himself can provide. Man's predicament is this. He says, I don't want you, God, but I want what only you can give me. What is it that only he can give? Satisfaction, peace of mind, contentment in soul. Humanity is running around to and fro in this frantic search, but no satisfaction will be found until he drinks from the well of living water, which is Christ. So God's going to preserve his promises through the midst of it all. Uh, and then notice how he's going to preserve his people. You get into verse five, Daniel sees what's described as two others who were, who were there on the bank of the river where he was when he receives this prophecy. Again, you go back to chapter 10 for the context. Uh, he has this vision of this man clothed in linen whom I personally believe this is a pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And now we're let in on the fact that there were at least two other angels who were there with this man who was clothed in linen. They're on each bank of the river, but the man in linen is sort of hovering above the waters in sort of this place of glory. And so notice that the angel asks the question in verse 6, how long shall it be until the end of these wonders? In other words, how long will it be until all that you've revealed to Daniel is going to be fulfilled and the end comes? I find it interesting that this question is asked by this angelic figure. You know, some professing believers are not interested in prophecy because they find it to be too controversial, maybe hard to understand. They dismiss its overall importance in their lives. But the intrigue of this angel here ought to serve as a rebuke to that kind of attitude. Folks, if angels are interested in these things, don't you think that those of us who have been the recipients of these things ought to be interested in them? That's what the Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 12. He says that we're the recipient of things, salvation blessings, things into which angels long to look. Are you as mesmerized and intrigued by your own personal salvation as the angels of heaven are? 
Because when an angel looks at your life as a believer, that angel is just absolutely curious uh, and, and just bewildered how the omnipotent, sovereign, gracious God could save a sinner like me and you. And it's something that provokes wonder in the hearts and minds of these heavenly beings. Should it not also provoke wonder in my life? Oh, and so this angel asks this man in linen, how long is it going to be? And then you'll know the response comes there in verse number seven. Daniel says, I heard the man clothed in linen above the stream. He raised his right hand and his left toward heaven and he swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time. Now what in the world does that mean? I don't know. <laughs> But that same language is used back in chapter seven to refer to the persecution of Antichrist. It will be a time, times, and half a time. Elsewhere, we're told that that same persecution will be three and a half years. So the idea is this is a phrase that refers to the three and a half years known as the Great Tribulation. But ultimately, notice the man in linen says that it's when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things will be finished. So the fact that this man in linen, whom I believe is a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus, raises both hands and swears by him who lives forevermore, this testifies of the magnitude of what's been revealed. It testifies of the mystery of what's been revealed, a reference to the time, times, and half a time, that final three and a half year period. But then what about how it's so certain it's when the shattering of the power of God's people comes to an end. That's when all of this is going to be finished. That word shattering there means to break or to dash to pieces. Now, what is that a reference to? Again, you go back to chapter 7. Antichrist shall speak words against the Most High, and he will wear out the saints of the Most High. He'll seek to change the times and the law, and the saints will be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. So the idea is things don't get better for the people of God here in this present world system. God's people can expect suffering at the hands of an unbelieving world. And yet there is this sense in which this shattering of our strength as the people of God, this is the very means by which God advances his agenda in the world. Now, I believe this is reference to Israel in the tribulation, how God's going to bring them to a breaking point in the great tribulation. And in that way, they're going to look to Christ and they're going to be saved when he comes again. But folks, there is an application here for us. Why is it that we think that the mission of God always advances from a position of strength on our part? It's never been that way in redemptive history. It's always been when God's people were at their breaking point. When God's people were at, their back was against the wall. It's always been whenever you've got Pharaoh's army at your back and the Red Sea in front of you, that's when God goes to work on behalf of his people. Amen. When things seem to look the darkest, when things seem to, to be the most bleak and hopeless, that's when God breaks through in power. And it's an amazing thing to me that it's, 
often been the persecuted church, and it's been seasons where the gospel has been under attack that the church has grown the most. You see this in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus laid out his agenda for the church. He said, I want you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. In other words, I want you to get out of Jerusalem, and I want you to get into the rest of the world. But you know, that doesn't happen until Acts chapter 8, verse 1. The church is cozy there in Jerusalem with all that was familiar, all that they had known. It's only until persecution is stirred up against the church that the church gets out of Jerusalem and into the rest of the world. So the thing that often we fear and push back against the most may be the very thing that God uses to build his kingdom. Think about that in your life personally. The thing that you avoid the most, the thing that you fear the most, the deepest, darkest valleys that you've walked through as an individual Christian man or woman, often that's been the place where you've learned the most about God. It's not so much the mountaintop experiences of life where we learn who God is, but it's down in the valley of hardship. It's in seasons of distress and difficulty that I find out just how precious and how powerful and how all-satisfying he really is. So God's going to preserve his promises. God's going to preserve his people. And then ultimately, God's going to preserve his purposes. You look at what Daniel says there in verse number eight. He says, I heard, but I did not understand. (laughs) And I read what Daniel wrote in his book, and I can really identify. I'm right there with you, brother. You've wrote a lot of stuff down, the stuff that's been, I don't necessarily understand it all. And you know what? That's an okay thing. I think sometimes we feel like we have to understand everything before we're going to believe everything or we're going to believe something. I think it was Alistair Begg I heard who said this. He said that the life of faith is lived out in the realm of unanswered questions. Something happens, man, we want an explanation for it. We want an explanation for this. Lord, tell me why you did this. Tell me why you allowed that. And no answer comes, no explanation is given. If we knew everything, why would we need faith? If I had an answer to every question that I asked, what then would be the purpose of a life of faith and walking by faith rather than by sight? Daniel asks his question, but notice the response that he receives. The man in linen says, go your way, Daniel. The words are sealed. In other words, I've already given you all that you need to know. It's been written down so that it could be preserved for future generations, and the Lord says, go your way. If I were to paraphrase it, here's what he's saying. Live your life. Go to work. Provide for your family. Get involved in your church. Serve in some selfless way. God has given each one of us a measure of personal responsibility, and we're to get with it. And prophecy is to have this kind of impact in my life. It's it's to remind me of the importance of every activity that I give myself to for the glory of God. And that way I live my life with this sense of urgency. And so the man in linen tells Daniel in verse 10 that God's purposes are going to prevail all the way up until the end. He says, many will purify themselves and make themselves white. They'll be refined, but the wicked, they're going to act wickedly. 
None of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And so once more, you have this distinction being made between the wicked and the wise. Who are the wise? The wise are those who respond to God's word in faith and obedience. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's who are wise. And believers ought to know how to navigate difficult times simply because of the wisdom that they've been given in the word. But the wicked, they're not going to understand. Those whose eyes have not been opened to the truth, they're not going to understand. But the wise are going to understand. We're not going to cave in, we're not going to panic, we're not going to throw up our arms in passive resignation when times get tough, but no, we're going to go our way up until the time of the end. We're going to keep right on living. We're going to keep right on looking to the Lord in faith and awaiting his appearing. So preservation, the the end time, it's going to be a time of tribulation, separation, preservation. And then let me just close real quickly with this one final point. The time of the end is going to be a time of consolation. What I mean by that is is hope. God's people have hope and nothing can take that hope away from God's people. Those last few years of the tribulation period will be marked by suffering for the people of God who are on earth at the time. It will seem like the powers of darkness have won the day, but have you ever heard this expression, the night is always the darkest just before the dawn? But make no mistake about it, sunrise is coming. You've got some numbers that are mentioned there in verse number 11, and scholars have different ideas as to what those may represent. The bottom line is, I take away from this, is that the tribulation period is going to come to an end, and Christ is going to bring in his kingdom. Everlasting righteousness is going to be brought in. And those who experience that will experience great blessing. But you look at that last verse and look at the practical admonition that's given to Daniel there. He says, Daniel, go your way until the end. That is, until the end of your life. Live your life, go your way until your time on earth is over and then you will rest and you will stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. What a word of consolation. What a high note that this book ends with. What is it that Daniel, this faithful servant of God, who's been faithful in Babylon all these years, what is it that he has to look forward to? It's rest and resurrection. Rest, resurrection, and then he's going to rule and he's going to reign with King Jesus for all of eternity. And folks, listen, that is the same thing that you and I have to look forward to as the people of God. So go your way. Live your life. Look to Christ in faith. Commit your way unto him and he will bring it to pass. How are you doing in that department? How are you you doing in light of your present responsibilities? Your marriage, your family, your job, serving in the church. You know, the thing is, One of these days, when it's all said and done, faithful believers from every generation are going to be resurrected and they're going to rule with Jesus in his kingdom. And I long for his return. Don't you long for his return? Oh, God, help us to recapture the Maranatha cry of the church. Even so, come Lord Jesus. In his first coming, he came to die on the cross. 
Philip Bliss said it best, man of sorrows, what a name for the son of God who came. Ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah, what a savior. Bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah, what a savior. Guilty, vile, helpless we, spotless lamb of God was he. Full redemption can it be? Hallelujah, what a savior. Lifted up was he to die, and it is finished was his cry. Now in heaven, exalted high. Hallelujah, what a savior. And when he comes, our glorious king, all his ransomed home to bring, then anew this song will sing. Hallelujah, what a savior. You know what, one of these days, I imagine I'm going to be strolling down the streets of the new Jerusalem in my glorified resurrection body. And I'm gonna bump into old brother Daniel. And I'm gonna say, I read your book. Even took eight months to preach through it. And then together, we're going to sit down around the table and fellowship with King Jesus forevermore. And all the saints will be gathered around the throne and we'll all join in the chorus, worthy, worthy, worthy is the Lamb. Hallelujah. Let's stand for prayer. Aren't you grateful for the good news of the gospel? Aren't you grateful for the hope that you have? that no matter what happens on the ground, our God is sovereign over it all. And history is headed someplace. And humanity is headed someplace. The question I ask you, what place are you headed toward? Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you don't know Jesus as your personal savior today, I urge you, oh, while you have time and opportunity, turn from your sin and in faith, Trust the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. Are you running to and fro? Increasing in knowledge, but just don't seem to be any satisfaction with it. What well are you drinking from this morning, my friend? The fountain that never runs dry, the fountain of living water, the Lord Jesus Christ eternal life in him or the broken muddy cisterns of this world Lord in Jesus name thank you for your word thank you for the message of this prophet in the Old Testament who points us to the better day that lies ahead for the people of God does not mean that our way in this world will be easy it wasn't for Daniel it hasn't been for multitudes of believers who've lived in church history. But Lord, I'm so thankful that you are bringing it all to pass. And Jesus is coming. And his kingdom is coming. But Lord, we've got work to do while you leave us here. May we be found faithful. Good stewards of all that you've entrusted us with. For Jesus' sake. Amen.